So we're tonight at the very end of Romans chapter 8. Romans 9 is kind of a whole new section. Uh, it connects with the rest, but it's a new, new section. And after tonight, we're actually going to take a little bit of a pause from Romans in the evenings, more than likely picking up again in January. So we're going to finish up Romans for a little bit tonight. This, these last verses uh, could also be part of our Standing on the Promises series that we're doing in the morning because there are some great um, and precious promises for the believer in Romans 8, 31 through 39. Uh, these, these are verses that no, no preacher, no human being could truly do justice to. Uh, so uh, we're going to do our best tonight to see what God's saying to us through these words. Uh, Romans 8, beginning at verse 31, let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's word for us tonight. So, I called this sermon Christian Absolutes in an, in an Age of Relativism. We live in an age of relativism. People believe truth is relative to each person and his or her experience or background or culture or upbringing or whatever. Christians can believe one thing. Muslims can believe another, as long as they're not terrorists. Secular people can have their faith that there is no God, and it's all okay. It's all cool. That's what relativism says. If Jesus works for you, great. If he doesn't, no problem. That's relativism. That's the mindset of the culture in which we live and are called to live for Jesus, in which we're called to share Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. That's our situation. Uh, you maybe heard about Pastor uh, Stephi Bolinsky. He kind of famously uh, was known to start each confirmation class in his church with a jar full of beans. And he would ask the students in that class to guess how many beans were in the jar. And then on a big pad of paper, he wrote down their estimates. 
And then next to those estimates, he helped them make another list, their favorite songs. Uh, When the lists were complete, he revealed the actual number of beans in the jar. The whole class looked over their guesses to see which estimates were closest to being right. Belinsky then turned to the list of favorite songs. And which of these is closest to being right, he would say. And the students protested that there is no right answer for a favorite song. A person's favorite song is a matter of taste. This pastor who held a PhD in philosophy from Notre Dame asked, then, when you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is that more like guessing the number of beans? Or is it more like choosing your favorite song? Always, pretty much, in his particular context, Belinsky said, the older ones in the class, the younger ones, he got the same answer. Choosing one's faith is more like choosing a favorite song. And he was pastoring back in the 1980s. If you imagine truth at the peak of a mountain, relativism says there are many different paths up that mountain to reach the truth. When we know our faith, Christianity says there's one way, there's one path, and it's in Jesus. And speaking of truth, some people don't even believe in truth anymore. A Gallup poll, and this goes back a ways, uh, in 1962 indicated that they found 84% of adults believe in an idea of absolute truth. 30 years later, in the early 1990s, 74% of adults agreed with this statement. There is no such thing as absolute truth. So a lot of change has been going on in our culture. In contrast to all of that, Paul ends chapter 8 with an incredible amount of conviction. He starts out these last verses in verse 28, and we read those verses with Pastor Matthew. We know that in all things. He goes on, we know. And then he shares with great enthusiasm some incredible truths that he is absolutely certain about. I believe God's word is telling us tonight that these are things you and I can be certain of too today. We can count on them. I believe God's word reveals three absolutes. In the midst of relativism, we are going to say there are three absolutes in these incredible verses for you and for me. First of all, Paul shows us the absolute success of redemption. Verse 31 says, what shall we say in response to this? In response to what? Well, he just talked about the previous verse about those God predestined, He called, He justified, He glorified. So certainly that. But Bible scholars think there's even more going on here. In chapters 5 through 8, Paul has been talking about all the amazing blessings, 
all the benefits of salvation. So Paul is bringing all that to mind. What shall we say in response to all the blessings of Jesus? In fact, with chapter 9 starting a new section of the book, some people say Paul is thinking back all the way to where he started in Romans 1 at the beginning. So in response to what? In response to what we're told about the misery that sin brings, of how God comes to us in Jesus with the solution, apart from works, by grace through faith we're saved, we're dead to sin, we're made alive to Jesus, and we have life in the Spirit The Spirit is interceding for us. We have a future glory that awaits us. Our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with that glory to come. Paul brings all of that to mind. And in a sense, he's summarizing it when he says at the beginning of our verse, if God is for us. God is for us. What a a beautiful, what an interesting way to summarize the good news of salvation. But I think we can summarize it there. I think that's what Paul's doing. God is for his people. God is for you when you belong to Jesus. It means God is working on our behalf. God is on our side. And the perfect demonstration of God being for us is in the giving of his own son. He gave his son for us. That shows us that God gave the Son, shows us that he was actively involved in the cross. God sent the Son. God gave him up on the cross. Paul says, for us all, that's all believers, if he gave the Son for all people in the world, all people would be saved. But the Bible indicates that, sadly, that's not the case. Some reject Jesus. So the all refers to all of us, all believers. And we read about here Jesus who died, who was raised to life, who's at the right hand of God. Paul is summarizing God's plan to save lost sinners. And it's clear the plan did not fail. God was entirely successful We read that Jesus died, but he was also raised, and then he went back to heaven. Jesus is victorious, and his victory is ours, we read. We're part of it. He will graciously give us all things. No longer can any charge be brought against us, God's chosen. We're justified, we read. We're made right with God. Paul brings us to the finished work of Christ, to show us the success of redemption. God's plan of redemption happened in Jesus as an absolute that you can bank on. And Paul says a little bit later in this letter, in chapter 10, if you believe in this Jesus, you will be saved. Faith in Jesus means salvation. And that's a sure thing. That's an absolute redemption, salvation in Jesus. It's a sure thing thing, a second sure thing, a second absolute from these verses in an age of relativism is the sovereignty of God. Paul teaches us the absolute sovereignty of our God. 
He's in control of all things. His providential care that we confessed early in the service is perfect, it's complete, it's total. We see God's absolute sovereignty in a number of ways in our verses. If God is for us, who can be against us? With God on our side, God taking us to his side is probably a more accurate way to put it, right? God for us, nothing and no one can touch us. He's that big. He's that strong. With Michael Jordan on the bulls, who could stop the bulls from taking those six rings in the 90s? Nobody. The great Magic Johnson in 1991? No. The dominant trailblazers and Suns teams in 92 and 93? No. Later, even the best duo in NBA history, Carl Malone and John Stockton? No. Michael Jordan reigned sovereignly in control of the NBA for those years and gives us a little glimpse, just a little tiny glimpse into the sovereignty of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing else is even close. God is so supreme, it's a joke to think that anything can touch him And it's a joke to think, by extension, anything or anyone can touch us, his people. God will graciously give us all things. How? Well, because he's the king of kings. He created all. He's lovingly in control of this universe. It's all his to give. We're victorious in him, writes Paul. And then he uses this very unique phrase to say, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. And I think it's here especially that we see the absolute sovereignty of God in our text. The fans of a winning team sing, we are the champions, my friends, after winning. And in a sense, we're on the winning team in Jesus. We are victorious. But more than conquerors means somehow to be more than the champions. How can we be more than world champions? What more could there be? The best explanation of what I've heard on more than conquerors is this. Under God's sovereign hand, even our adversities in life are working toward our good. The spiritual forces that oppose God don't know it. They aren't trying, of course, to work for the good of God's people. They're working against us, working against the church. They want us to fall. They want God's work to fail. But God bends even the work of the enemy to accomplish his good work. Not only does God overcome the enemy, he causes the enemy to become a helper so that in everything, in life, even in the ultimate enemy, death, we read in verse 28, God's working for our good, in our favor. And so we see the absolute sovereignty of God in The fact that you and I aren't just champions in Jesus. We're more than champions, more than conquerors. 
In verse 35, and then again in 39, we read that nothing will be able to separate us from his love. And that points to one more absolute that we can bank on in this wishy-washy world when it comes to truth and absolutes. And that's the absolute security of the believer. We see it in those verses that nothing can separate us from his love especially, but in the whole text. These absolutes, this incredible conviction of Paul is not about some glorious truth that's way up in the sky, far away from us. The culmination of all of this conviction about our redemption and its perfect completion and success and the truth about our God and his perfect rule over all things comes down, says Paul, to what it means for us, his children, when he talks about our security in him. Paul mentions trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Believers throughout the ages have this experience that Paul quotes from in Psalm 44 in verse 36. We face death daily. Uh, One of our confessions talks about this life as a veil of tears for believers. We suffer. Surely one of these many terrible things that people experience could separate us from God's love. But Paul says no. And Paul knows what he's talking about. If you compare that list in verse 35 to the list, I believe it's it's 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about all the sufferings he went through, he experienced himself every single one of these things up to the point in his life that he wrote Romans. And the last one, the sword, he would experience at his death. But none of those things ever ripped him out of God's grip. Verse 38 and 39 has this list, these pairs, this list of pairs that you, you know if you've read Bible, the Bible for any length of time. Life and death are the two possible states of human existence. Angels and demons, that covers the whole spirit world. Present and future covers the temporal dimension of life all time. Power is by itself. It's not a pair. And it probably means we think anything that opposes God Maybe supernatural things that Satan or demons could do. Height or depth, so nothing in space. Includes the whole universe, the sky, the ocean depths, heaven, hell. So in other words, no human mode of existence. Nothing in the spiritual realm. Nothing in time. No spiritual power. Nothing in space can separate us. And then, just in case this list that you can't imagine anything would fall outside of that list, it's so comprehensive, but just in case he misses something, just in case he isn't clear to us, he says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The answer to who can separate us is no one. 
And you know, that's not even ourselves, I believe. I believe we are included in everything. He's including everything. Not even our own decisions and waffling and doubting and wondering. And it's helpful to know that you and I are part of everything in this. You and I, I believe, are in Paul's scope. Because if it were up to us and our convictions and our strong faith or not so strong faith, you know we would be lost. If it were up to us, we'd be separated from God's love. So what we're given in Jesus is absolute security. We see it in all the questions in these verses too. And I kind of want to just walk through those. We see this security not just in who shall separate us, but in these other questions. Just think about it once. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Why would we ever be afraid of any opposition at all? That person who is against us at work, a boss or a fellow employee who's making life tough, someone at school giving you a hard time, a a teacher or a coach who you feel is against you, these things can hurt, but you and I have absolute security. These things will pass. With God's love, you don't have to let people phase you. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son How will he not also give us all things? If God is willing to give up his most precious possession, his son, for us, why would we worry about our needs? And we worry about our needs. I could tell you, I could open my heart a little bit and share about the things that that worry me as I think about tomorrow. I'll give you a little hint. Four girls, four weddings. I get that one a lot when people find out four daughters. They're like, you got four weddings coming up. Like, tell me something I don't know, buddy. (laughs) I'm fully aware of that. That's one of the numerous things, just in terms of my needs, that I think about, that I could choose to worry about. And and you have that too. It's different for all of us, but, but I know you know, retirement, how's that going to work out? Just providing for ourselves day by day. We all do. But God is going to work it all out. He is. If he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give us all things? You don't have to worry. He's going to work it out. Verse 33, 34 Who will bring any charge? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? If the God, if our God has declared us righteous, justified us, why ever feel guilty? Why ever feel unforgiven? Why wallow in those sins? You don't have to. Who will bring any charge? Satan might try. But God's taking care of that. We can even bring a charge against ourselves. But God has declared you righteous. 
Then Paul brings up the biggest question of all in verse 35, that who shall separate us from the love of God? And that kind of summarizes the very biggest concern that a believer could ever have in our worst nightmares, being separated from God. But even that biggest concern we might have is handled. Nothing, no one can separate us from his love. And ultimately, you know why that is? It's because we belong to God by his sovereign choice. Not because of anything in us that might change day by day. Not because of anything around us which also changes. It's based on him and his love and he never changes. Has God called you? Do you believe tonight? Have you turned to him in your sin and need? None of that seeking the Lord, none of that coming to him in faith could have happened unless God set his love on you in eternity before time and is now working out his plan in your life to make you his own and to keep you forever. We don't need to worry. We don't need to wonder. We don't need to feel guilty. We don't need to be afraid. God gives us in Jesus these absolutes of redemption, God's sovereignty, our own security. Boy, and that means we can live our lives. We could be living our lives with an overwhelming sense of joy and assurance and peace and conviction. We should have a smile on our face all the time or at least a pleasant demeanor if we're not a big smiler. We can have a skip in our step. Huh? It's all getting worked out for you and for me. Sometimes I'll be driving in the car on my short commute to or from the office here. And even in that very short time where I'm kind of by myself, I can, I'm like driving along and I'm feeling concern about something or, or worry and it's a little uptight. And then I'll, I'll stop. As, as I'm dry, I'll stop in my mind and, and I'll, I'll, I'll have to consciously, I just have to consciously stop and think, bring to mind a lot of these types of things that Paul is telling us about. And I think about God's faithfulness to me. I think about how he's always kept me, how he's never forsaken me. And it's like that burden and the joy comes. He brings it when I think about him and thank him for what he's done. And, and, and sometimes with the weight of the world on our shoulders, with our own worries, we just have to stop and think and pray and remember the precious truths of God's word that we can absolutely bank on. And we ask God, make them real to us. May God help each one of us to live out of his salvation, live under his sovereignty, and in security with him. Absolutely.